Good morning. Man, it's good to see everyone here this morning. How's everyone doing? Yeah, okay, well that's good. Um, some of you have asked me how I'm doing. Uh, some of you have asked about the mark on my head and asked if uh, Julie had gotten angry with me. And really, um, let me just say, you guys underestimate her. If Julie got mad at me, it'd be a whole lot worse than this. I'm, I'm just saying. Um, she's a beast. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But she didn't do this. I bent over to pick something up, and I've got a big head, and I'm half blind, and I didn't see the furniture that was in front of me, and so bonk, I hit my head. And, and so anyway, that's what caused it, and that's my story, and I'm going to stick to that. So... Anyway, moving forward, now you know. Um, before I get started, before we go any further, where is Julie Stoltz this morning? She's in Kingdom Kids. Well, I just want to make the announcement while she's not in here, so maybe she won't kill me. But anyway, some really good news. She has been asked to be on the board at Mount Dora. And we've had a couple of others from our congregation that have been a part of that board and so we just celebrate uh, them asking her, and I know she's going to do an awesome job with that. Um, also, let me say this. Before we close out this morning, Wayne, don't let me forget, Miss Wilma, it is her birthday today. And so before we close out, I'm going to get everybody to stand up, face our online camera, because she's watching today, and we're all going to wish her a happy birthday. Cool? Y'all don't let me forget that. All right. Okay, so if you're just tuning in, right now we are in a series entitled God's Not Done With Us Yet. Now, if you missed any of the previous lessons, as I've told you before, we have a church Facebook page, we have a church website, we have a podcast where you can go back and you can catch up and you can watch any of these lessons anytime you choose to. But in this series, we've been talking about a guy by the name of Abraham who at 75 years of age was called by God and promised by God that he would have many descendants. So many descendants that they would be more numerous than the stars in the sky. But you see, there was one big problem with all of that. His wife, Sarah, who was 65, she was barren. They didn't have any children. And yet God had promised them that they would have children. And then Abraham has to wait. In fact, he has to wait for God to fulfill this promise for some 25 years. And so for 25 years, Abraham is waiting and, and he is on this journey with God. And, and some of you, you're probably already thinking, well, why did God make him wait so long? Well, it was because God had to do something in him before he could do something through him. You following me? 
Sometimes God has to do that in all of us. And, and so God, even though Abraham is 75 years old at this point, God is not done with Abraham yet. In fact, uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. It's been a long journey. Long journey with, uh, for Abraham uh, a lot of trials and, and a lot of tests and, and heartbreak. And, and he's just been through a lot on this journey with God. But we get into Genesis chapter 22, and this is how it begins. Sometime later, God, what? Said out loud, church. God tested Abraham. How many of you, how many of you like tests? Okay, not a whole lot of you. How, how many of you have ever had to take a test, a, a really hard test? So, okay, well, well, all of us have. And, and here, God is going to test Abraham. And, and so already, out the, already in the outset, we know that Abraham's about to go through something that he's not aware of. He is going to be tested by God, and it's going to be a really hard test. In fact, I would dare say that it's probably the biggest, the, the most difficult test that we read about for anyone in the Old Testament. Keep reading. God said to Abraham, Abraham, and Abraham replies, here I am. Now stop right there. I, I just You can underline that in your Bible. I want to pause right here to make this statement, okay? Abraham is not giving his geographic location. When, when God calls out to him, he's not saying, God, hey, I'm, I'm over here. When, when Abraham says, God, here I am, what Abraham is actually saying here is God, I am at your service. Because Abraham has heard this same voice before, right? It's the same voice that made wonderful promises to him about his destiny. It's the same voice that promised him that he and Sarah would have a child even in their old age. And now, as we get into Genesis chapter 22, we see that that, that promise that God had made uh, just well, 25 years earlier or, or even longer at this point has now come true. Abraham has now been given a son and he names him Isaac. Does anyone know what the name Isaac means? Yeah, laughter. He laughed because Abraham and Sarah laughed when they heard that God was going to give them a child in their old age. And, and you and I, we would too probably, right? I mean, if God came to us at 100 you know, and, 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 you know, Sarah is 90 when she finally gives birth to Isaac. I mean, in that moment, we would probably have to laugh, maybe cry, because now we're going to Walmart to not only buy Pampers, but also Depends because we're so old, right? I mean, that's kind of funny. And, and so Abraham and Sarah, when, when they 
finally, in their old age, are able to give birth to Isaac, well, they name him Isaac because at one point they had very little faith and they laughed at the promise that God had made to them. But God fulfilled that promise. And in Acts, or Genesis chapter 22, Isaac is already born. He's growing up. We're not told his exact age. He's in, I'm thinking he's probably close to being a teenager, and I'll explain that to you in just a few minutes. But God comes back to Abraham now that Isaac is born and he's growing and, and doing well. And he calls out to Abraham and Abraham says, here I am. In other words, I'm not going to run. I'm, I'm not going to hide. Here I am. I am here to serve you, Lord. Because you see, that's what people of faith do. People of faith respond with obedience to God. Now, let me say this. I am pretty sure that Abraham was not prepared for what God was about to ask him to do. Okay? So just look at what God says to Abraham. Genesis 22, verse 2 now. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Can you imagine? God, after He's given him a son, comes back to Abraham and He says, Now I want you to take your son, your only son, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. Well, nobody's laughing now, right? I mean, I, I just try to imagine this in my mind. I just try to imagine God coming to me and saying, Listen, I want you to sacrifice your only son, Shepherd. I want you to, I want you to sacrifice him for me. I, I can't even begin to wrap my mind around that. Also, I don't know if you know this or not, but there is a word here that is first mentioned in the Bible, and it is the word love. It describes a great love that a father has for his son, who he has now been asked to offer up as a sacrifice. Now, here's the deal. You and I, we know that this is a test. Right? As we look back at verse 1, you and I, we've already been tipped off to this. But you see, here's the deal. As I've already said, Abraham didn't know that. He didn't know what God was going to ask him to do and, and the results of everything that was about to happen. And let me also say this. Let me make this very clear before we go any further. There has never been a time in Scripture before or after this incident where God ever asked for a human sacrifice. Never. Okay? But the passage continues, verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, he loaded his donkey, 
He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And, and when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for a place that God told him about. And in other words, Abraham responds to what God tells him to do by obeying. He starts loading up his donkeys. He gets Isaac and, and a couple of his servants and, and he takes off to Moriah to sacrifice his one and only son. And here's the deal. Abraham's not only taking with him his promised son, but he's also taking with him an unfinished promise. Right? Because remember, God had also promised Abraham. He says, look, I'm, I'm going to give you a lot of descendants. So, so numerous. I mean, you, you won't even be able to count them as, as numerous as the stars. And, and through your descendants, through your offspring, the whole world is going to be blessed. And of course, he was talking about the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, our Savior, that we would come through the line or the lineage of Abraham. But here's the thing. All of that hinged on Isaac. Think about that. And now God is telling him to sacrifice Isaac. Verse 4. On the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. And I want us to stop right there because I want you to think about this. They had to travel for three days. And if I have my guess, Isaac was probably thinking, this is awesome. This is so cool, right? A camping trip with dad. It's guys weekend, right? I mean, it's, it's just, you know, him and me. And, and man, this is, this is great. But... For Abraham, it's three days of thinking about what's about to take place. Three days of thinking about what God has asked him to do. But here's the thing, he doesn't waver in his faith. Verse 5, he said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy Go over there, we will worship, and then we will come back to you. Now, you may want to underline those words, uh, the, the two we's there in our text, because that's powerful. Notice what, what Abraham is saying to his servants. We're going to go over here and worship, and then what's going to happen? We are going to come back. In, in other words, Abraham was not expecting to come back alone. He was expecting to bring Isaac back with him. And if you really want to know what was going through Abraham's mind at this point, the book of Hebrews tells us. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19, it says, It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. 
Abraham, who had received God's promise, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God said to him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned, listen to what he was thinking here. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. You talk about faith. I mean, as far as we know from looking at Scripture, no one up until this point had ever been risen from death. And yet Abraham had the faith to believe that if he sacrificed his son, God would do that. He would bring him back to life. Abraham says we will worship and then we will return. And in verse 6 it says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. Now this is one of the reasons I told you I would kind of explain why I think that Isaac was maybe a teenager at this point, maybe a little younger. He was able to carry the wood. Like a toddler's not going to be able to do that, right? You know, a really small child was not going to be able to carry firewood up this mountain, but yet Abraham gives him the wood while he carries the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and he said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Now, if you are a parent or if you are a grandparent here this morning or you are tuning in online, I want to make a very important statement here. Notice Isaac does not ask, what is the wood for? He doesn't ask, Dad, why are you carrying that fire? Right? Why? Because this, this wasn't the first time they'd done this. This wasn't the first time that they had sacrificed, they had worshipped God together. And I just want to say to those of you who are parents and those of you who are grandparents, if you want to transmit authentic faith to your kids, they need to see you and experience you worshipping God passionately. Are you with me? They need to see you pray. They need, they need to see you take sermons seriously. They need to see you take the Lord's Supper gratefully. They need to see you give generously. Listen, I believe with all my heart it's healthy for our kids to see how God is working and leading in our own lives. Our own faith journey is an opportunity to say to our kids and our grandkids, as far as we are concerned, God is the most important thing in our lives. We believe with all our heart that He has a purpose and a plan for us. And, and we just want you kids and you grandkids to know that even, even though things get tough in all of our lives, listen, 
we have decided we're going to trust God through this. And what a statement we make when we do that, right? I mean, I think about the statement that Joshua made in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, as they get into the land of Canaan, the people of Israel, and they're surrounded by all these pagan people and all these uh, pagan false gods that they could worship. And basically, Joshua says to the people of Israel, and before his family... He says, look, he says, you guys have got to choose who you're going to worship. But he says, "For but as far as me and my household, he says, we will serve the Lord. You think that made an impact on his family? On his kids, on his grandkids? What a statement of faith. Listen, we can tell our kids and our grandkids that God is important to us, but I promise you, I guarantee you, they will watch you to see if it's true. We set the example that will be multiplied in the lives of our kids and our grandkids as they learn to put God first in their life too. And so you have Isaac, and he comes to his dad, and he says, Dad, I'm, I'm really confused here. I mean, we've, we've got the wood, and we've got the fire, but hey, where, where's, where's the lamb? I mean, don't we normally have a, a, a lamb? And, and notice his response. Notice Abraham's response, verse 8. He says, God himself will what, church? will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. You see, Abraham was far enough in his faith journey at this point that he had learned that God always, always provides. Through all the trials and failures and victory, he had learned to trust God in everything. And so he says, God will provide. Some way, somehow, God will make a way. He always does. And I believe that He will do it again. Verse 9. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And, and so now again, I, I'm just trying to explain why I think maybe Isaac was a teenager, maybe a little younger, because his father, who is over a hundred years old at this point, he's small enough to where his father could pick him up. After he had bound his hands, he, he picks him up and he lays him, he lays his son on this altar. And I, I try to imagine what that moment must have been like as he took his son into his arms. Maybe he thought back to the first time that he held him as a baby. Maybe he thought back to a time where Isaac was just kind of running around him playing and, and, and Abraham came along and he scooped his son up and he, he held him and maybe tickled him a little bit as we as dad like to do. Or, or, or maybe Abraham or Isaac had, had had a day where he had just played really hard and he fell asleep and so Abraham comes along very gently, picks him up into his arms and cuddles him. Maybe kisses him on the head and goes and lays him in his bed. 
But he picks his son up to put him on this altar. And I just kind of imagine in my mind Abraham saying to Isaac, I am so sorry. I don't know why God is asking me to do this, but I, I believe with all my heart, son, that if I sacrifice you, he has the power to bring you back to life. But I couldn't love you any more than I love you right now. I just want you to know I love you and I'm, I'm so sorry. And some of you may be thinking, yeah, this is really unreasonable for God to ask Abraham to do something like this. I mean, it, it says that this was a test. Doesn't, doesn't God already know the depth of Abraham's faith? I mean, doesn't God already know everything anyway? And the answer to that is yes. Well, then why would He make Abraham do something like this? Well, think about this. Maybe, just maybe, God wanted Abraham to know the depth of his faith. And maybe, just maybe, God wanted Isaac to see that his dad loved God more than anything. Verse 10. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And so here we see that Abraham has reached a point in his journey with God where there is nothing he wouldn't trust God with. There's nowhere that he wouldn't go with God. And so God says, now I know that there is nothing that you would withhold from me. And here's the deal, Abraham. You know that now as well. And your son Isaac, he knows that as well. Verse 13, Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, what church? The Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now when you named a place in the Hebrew, that was very significant. Because what that meant was you were actually calling that place uh, something that really told the story of what had happened at that place. And, and so what's really interesting here is this place was named the Lord Will Provide, not the place where Abraham obeyed. Did you catch that? You see, so much more significant than Abraham's impressive obedience is God's commitment to us. In fact, over 2,000 years later, there was another 
son who was very much loved by his father who walked up this very same mountain, Mount Moriah, where the city of Jerusalem would eventually be built. And this sun would also be placed on wood. Only this time death wouldn't be stopped. God's son, his only son, would die on a cross. You see, Abraham was asked to do the same thing that Almighty God of the universe would actually do thousands of years later, but this time there would be no ram substitute in the thicket. Because you see, Jesus was the perfect, unblemished lamb of God. And he would die, he would pay the price so that you and I could be saved from our sins. That's why he's referred to as Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And man, what a provider he is. He provides for us in so many ways. He gives us our jobs and, and the, the money uh, that, that it takes for us to pay for our needs. He gives us food and clothing and shelter and He gives us rain and sunshine. All these blessings, the air that we take in and breathe. But God provided in a bigger way. He gave up His Son for us. Romans chapter 8 verse 32 puts it like this, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him generously give us all things? You see, this story is not first and foremost about Abraham's commitment. It's about God's commitment. Listen, when when everything is said and done, as, as we look back over our life one day, listen, I am, I am telling you, what we're, we're going to be amazed at is not all the ways that you and I have sacrificed for God. I can tell you right now, we will be blown away and we will be amazed at the faithfulness of God and His sacrifice for us. Listen, when we really grasp that God has not withheld His Son, His only Son, the Son whom He loves for us, it causes us to ask, what could we possibly withhold from Him? Verse 15, The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear... By myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And through your offspring, all the nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Notice, don't, don't miss this. Because Abraham obeyed, God multiplied him, right? He multiplied 
that family like the stars in the sky. In fact, think about this. You and I sit here as a couple of those stars today. You and I are sitting here today because Abraham obeyed. Abraham listened to God, and and this is mind-blowing. If you and I will obey, if you and I will walk by faith, there will also be other stars that will be brought into the kingdom of God because of our obedience, because of of our faith. And and I don't know about you, but but to me, that's that's mind-boggling. But this is an amazing story of surrender. In fact, I want to ask this question before we close out this morning. What is the one thing that prevents you from being fully surrendered to God? Let me ask it this way. What is your Isaac? What is it? Who is it that you love? Now, let me remind you again that God has never again asked for a human sacrifice before or or even since this event that we read about in Genesis chapter 22. But He does require sacrifice, right? Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a white church, as a living sacrifice. What is he talking about? Holy, living a holy and pleasing life to God. This is your true and proper worship. You see, God is not looking for weekend warriors. He's not looking for people who just worship Him on the weekends, on on Sunday. God wants us to worship Him by the way we live our lives, surrendering, sacrificing our lives for Him. How many of you like to eat eggs and bacon for breakfast? One person said, and I thought this makes sense, chickens make a contribution to your breakfast, but the the pig makes a total sacrifice. And I think if we use that in a spiritual sense, we would say it like this, when Jesus calls us to follow Him, He's not looking for chicken Christians. He's looking... For pigs, those who would completely surrender. There's a story, and I'll close out with with this. I know I'm going over. There's a story in Matthew chapter 19 about a young man who is very rich. And he comes to Jesus one day and he says, Jesus, he says, I've learned your, I've learned the commands since I was young. And he says, and I have obeyed them. And he says, I just need to know, is there anything else I need to do in order to to enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, well, there is one thing that you lack, one thing that you need to do. He says, I want you to sell all of your possessions, everything that you have, and give it to the poor. Now let me say this. 
Nowhere else in Scripture do we see Jesus ever asking anyone else to do that. You say, well, why did he ask this young man to do that? Because Jesus knew that his possessions was his Isaac. Jesus knew that his possessions and his wealth possessed him instead of the other way around. He knew this man wasn't fully surrendered. In fact, as soon as Jesus tells him this, look at, look at what takes place. Matthew 19, verse 22, when the young man heard this, he went away what? because he had great wealth. Listen, the number one purpose of this series is for 100% of us to engage with God and fully surrender to God. Whatever He's calling us to do, collectively as a church or, or personally, individually, and, and I realize that, that that may look different for all of us. In other words, the question is not, what is someone else doing or, or what is God asking someone else to do? No, the question is, what is God calling you to do? Me to do? And will I surrender? And will I obey? And will I trust God? Listen, I'm going to offer an invitation this morning and just know... During this time, you can always come up and, and we would love to pray for you. There may be someone here today who's, who's struggling spiritually. There may be someone online who's watching spiritually and, and just know we, we would love to pray for you. We would love to encourage you in whatever way that we can. There may be someone here today who's never put on Christ in baptism. Acts 2.38 talks about how when we repent... We decide to turn away from our sin and, and surrender to God. And we're baptized that all our sins are washed away through the blood of Jesus. And there may be someone here today who, who needs to do that. You need to surrender your life to God. You need to, you need to give your life to Jesus but just know that, that we are here. We would love to talk, to you, talk to you. We'd love to study with you. We just want to help you to understand that God has provided for you and He's provided for me. He has is, he is made a way. He is the way maker, right? For all of us to have a relationship with Him and to be able to spend all eternity with Him and let me tell you something else about our God. He will see you through whatever you're going through in life. If you need to respond for any reason, if we can help you in any way, won't you come together, we stand and sing.